Hello, my name is Paul, and I'm one of the pastors and one of the elders here at PBC. Let me add my welcome. And it's really great to be gathered together with you during this season. I arrived this morning early as I normally do when I'm preaching, and I went to my office and printed out my sermon, and I checked my mailbox, and I wanted to show you what I found. It's a, it's a letter, and it's addressed to Peninsula Bible Church worship service. So that's you, right? So I actually found a letter written to you this morning. And uh, I'm going to keep you a little bit in suspense about what might be in this letter. But I want to think a little bit about how it feels to receive something addressed to you. We like that, don't we normally, to, to receive something unless it's like a credit card offer or <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, we like that sense of being a recipient and we're familiar with it. I think we're also familiar with being a sender because we all send things, right? We send letters, we send emails, we send texts, we send stuff all over. So, so we know what it feels like to be a recipient and we know what it feels like to be a sender. But the question we want to ask this morning is, what does it feel like to be the envelope? What does it feel like to carry the letter inside? We are in our second week of this Advent series we're doing called God With Us. And we're looking at the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. That's the fourth of the four books in the New Testament that focus primarily on who Jesus is. The other three books are more similar. They walk through the events of Jesus's life and ministry, whereas John focuses more on the significance of what's happening. He uses poetic and sometimes even cosmic language to describe what's happening as Jesus walked on the earth. So these verses are really appropriate to use as a reflection during the time of Advent because they speak of Jesus appearing and they speak of what it means and how it changes everything in the world. And so as we're in this season of waiting for Jesus to come for Christmas, and remembering that he will come back to finish his work of redemption, these verses, they, they, they open our minds to think bigger about what's really happening. The other books talk about events. John talks about significance. So Luke says that Mary got pregnant in his gospel. John says that a new creation was happening. Matthew describes the genealogy of Jesus, who all of his grandparents were, and John says that in Jesus was the light of mankind. Luke says that angels sang at Jesus' birth. John says that Jesus dispels the darkness. So as we hear this, we're going to think big and cosmic about what is actually going on during this season. Today we're looking at John 1, verses 6 through 8, just three verses, and these verses actually don't primarily talk about Jesus. They talk about someone else. Someone else whose name was also John, but not the John who wrote the book. So don't get confused. And these verses describe a man whose primary identity is that he was sent from God. He was something that was sent. John the Baptist is neither the sender nor the recipient but he is what was sent. He is the messenger, not the message. He is the music, not the song. He is 
the envelope, not the letter. And so as we read about this man, we're going to look at these three verses and think about three very specific things about him, and we're going to realize along the way that we are not that different from him. That just as John finds himself a man sent from God, we are going to find out that we are men and women sent from God as well. Let's begin by looking at the first verse. This is John 1, verse 6, as our passage opens up. We read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The word there that's translated sent is the Greek word apostello. It's the word that we get the word apostle from. It's also the word we get postal service from. And you might even think when you post something on Instagram or Facebook that you are sending something to the world. It's the same idea of casting something out there. And so this man, his very identity is that he was posted by God to the world. How many of you have received an Amazon package sometime in the last couple months? All right, I'm seeing who actually hasn't. That's very interesting to me. So I want us to think a minute. When you receive a box from an online order that, that arrives at your doorstep, think about all of the things that have happened in the world so that that box can get to your doorstep. So first of all, somebody had to create the raw materials to build the product that you purchased. And then somebody else took those raw materials and assembled it into some product that you purchased online. Somebody else shipped that product in a package to a distribution center somewhere in the world. And then when you sat at your computer or phone or tablet or whatever, and you pressed buy, on a computer that someone built running electricity that somewhere was manufactured, that message got transmitted some magical way through the air to the distribution center where somebody else said, I'm gonna take this product and put it in a box that somebody made the cardboard for and shaped it into a box so that this person could put your product in the box and somebody else taped it with tape that someone made somehow, somewhere, and then they wrote on it with a pen that got made and then that box got put in a vehicle that someone built that transferred it somewhere so that someone else could put it in a different vehicle that someone else built that could get transferred somewhere else so that eventually someone else could carry it out of their vehicle and put it on your doorstep so that it was sent to you. That's a lot, right? You just pressed buy, and two days later something arrives, but all of that had to happen for those sequence of events to take place. Now we find out about John the Baptist that he is sent from God. So let's think about all the things that had to happen for John the Baptist as a person to be sent from God to the time and place that he was sent with the message that he was carrying. Think about the long course of history, all that happened in the Bible from the creation to Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham receiving a covenant to Moses leading people out of Egypt to Abraham Sorry, we already did Abraham, didn't we? To uh, Joshua, leading people into the promised land. To David, the first king. To Solomon, the next king. To the exile, when God's people were dispersed, and then God's people were brought back. And then the prophets spoke, like Matthew read this morning, of something to come, some Messiah that would come. And all of that had to happen so that at a particular time, at a particular place, this man named John 
arrived with the message that God had given him. All that God did so that John the Baptist could be sent from God. And this is actually the mystery of Christmas. This is what makes this event that we celebrate so spectacular. Because we do not believe in a God who lives wherever and created the world and then just stands back and watches it play out. When John the Baptist arrived at his particular time and place, it was a recognition that the God we believe in acts in history. That in this place, at that time, to this woman, this baby was born in that manger, and those people came to see him because God is involved. He's involved in the particulars. He is not far off. He is not distant. He acts in times and places according to his purposes within the realm of history. And so John the Baptist was sent to his place for God's purposes. And then when we realize, and when we reflect on that, we realize then that we are sent as well. Listen to what Jesus will say later on in his ministry. This is John 17, verse 18. He's praying to the Father, and he's speaking about the disciples that are gathered around him, and he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And those disciples become sent people themselves until we inherit their vocation, their mission, their call in life, and we also become sent. Just like John the Baptist, we are men and women sent from God. And we thought about all that has to happen for an Amazon package to arrive at your doorstep. We thought about all that has to happen for John the Baptist to have come at the particular time in history that he came. So I want you to think about all that had to happen in your life to get you to this moment here today. You are all sitting here in Palo Alto in December 2023. Some of you are watching online, wherever you may be watching, but you are here. And I know some of your stories. Some of the stories of how you got here are mind-blowing, are clear evidence of God at work in the world. Some of you have come from other countries with incredible stories of how you got here. Some of you were born here and have been here and weathered ups and downs throughout your lives. Some of you don't know why you're here or you're trying to figure that out, but each and every one of you has a history of people in your life and circumstances that have conspired to get you to this place right now today. And so if John the Baptist was sent to the there and then of first century Israel, you are sent to the here and now of, what is this, 21st century (laughs) Bay Area, Palo Alto. God had his purposes to send John the Baptist, and God has his purposes to send you. And I'm convinced that this is an incredible here and now to be sent to. 
that the things that are happening in this part of the world, that the things that are happening in this church, that the things that are happening in your lives at this time in history and in this place in the world are unbelievable. And it is a privilege that we have to be a part of this time. Some of you are familiar with the musical Hamilton. And there's one of the songs, a couple of songs, that repeats in a theme this phrase, how lucky we are to be alive right now. History is happening in New York City. How lucky we are to be alive right now. Whenever I hear that, I think history may have been happening in New York City in 1770, but history is happening here in 2023 in the Bay Area. And I think we are lucky to be alive right now. Not actually lucky, but God-ordained. Because God has sent us to the here and now for his purposes. I have a brief confession to make before we move on to my next point. Uh, this is not actually the letter that I sent to you. Uh, I sent a letter 10 days ago to the church, to you, PBC worship service, uh, but it never arrived. <laughs> so uh, some of you in the first service noticed, they're like, wait, that stamp has no markings on it. Some of you realize that, but, but um, it's actually a good illustration because sometimes we send things that don't get where they were meant to get. And so if it's true that God sent us to the here and now, let's not be letters that don't arrive. Let's not get lost in the U.S. Postal Service, which we're very grateful for, and I'm sure they made a reasonable mistake, but <laughs> let's not get lost and never arrive where we were sent. But like any letter, this letter has a message inside, which I'm still going to keep you in suspense, so you keep listening to me. Um, but we might ask then, if we are sent... If we are the envelope, what is our message? Well, that's answered in the next verse of the ones we're looking at. This is John 1, verse 7. Describing John the Baptist, we read, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So the message then that John has been given is to speak of a light that has come to bear witness, that, that, that word there that's translated witness is martyreo. It's the Greek word that we get the word martyr from. And it's more about being someone than doing something. It's about being a witness, being a person whose life represents something than actually a set of actions. So John is to be a witness to the light. John the Baptist is actually a uh, favorite topic for artists across the century. So I thought it might help us as we're thinking about him to look at some art on how people portray him. We're going to start with an artist named Lippo Memmi. This is from the 14th century. And here's a picture of John the Baptist. Looks like a happy guy, right? Kind of guy you'd like at a Christmas party. Here's 300 years later. This is a painting by Luca Giordano another one of John the Baptist. Very different kind of painting. And 100 years after that, here's one by Raphael Mengs, another one, again, called John the Baptist. Now, I want to look at all three of them together. And as we think about these three paintings across hundreds of years of John the Baptist, there's something that stands out about them. You might notice that in all of them, John the Baptist is pointing. And in fact, that ends up being a, a very common 
artistic motif for people portraying John the Baptist over literally millennia that he is not always, but very often portrayed as pointing. Because his job is to bear witness about the light, to point to the light. And we heard about that light last week. In the passage we read last week, John 1, verse 5, we heard this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is what we heard about what that light was. It was something that shines in the darkness so that the darkness is destroyed. The darkness can't overcome this kind of light. I had a meeting earlier this week with a, a small group of folk, and we were, we were uh, walking over to the high school room in the evening to have, to have a little meeting, and we get in the high school room and the lights are off. And if you've ever been in the high school room, finding the light switch is, is a little bit of a kind of mind-bending thing. It's actually on the wall next to the closet, because normally you enter a room from the closet, right? <laughs> so it's a very normal place to put a light switch. So we get into the room, and it's dark. You can't see anything. And I was with a group of people, and I said to someone, the light switch is over there, because I didn't want to walk over to it in the dark. Um, so they walked over in the dark to find the light switch and turn the light on, and lo and behold, there was light. But what I did in that moment is what we see John the Baptist doing. The light switch is over there. That's his whole job. He's a pointer. He's a pointer to something else, to something else that's coming. He doesn't create the light. He didn't build it. He doesn't do it. He just says the light switch is over there. It's very, very simple. It's not complicated. It's not really all that difficult. All he does is tell someone else where to find the light. And it turns out that if we think about how we are sent from God, that our sending is very similar that we too actually are called just to be pointers. We learned about this a few weeks ago. We were looking at the book of Acts over the course of the summer, and we read this verse in Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he's ascended, and he tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, the same word, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so that thing that John was sent to do to bear witness about the light is then the same task that we are called to do, to be witnesses, to simply stand there and say, the light switch is over there. That's it. And we might think then, what does it actually look like to point people to the light? All of you are in this room today. Some of you are watching online. And for every person here, somebody in your life did that for you. Maybe you're still exploring faith. Maybe you're not yet sure about this whole thing, but you're, you're curious enough to be here or to watch online. And so I'm willing to bet that somebody in your life said to you at some point, the light switch is over there. And you investigated it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then at some point you received light in your life that dispelled the darkness. And if you've ever been in a dark room and you don't know where to walk and you don't know where things are on the floor and the lights come on, 
It's a glorious thing. Maybe not so much in our high school room, but uh, in most rooms, it's a glorious thing to finally be able to see. Nobody wants to walk in darkness. Nobody wants to struggle that way. Nobody wants to lack the vision and the warmth and the clarity that light allows. We live in a world where darkness sometimes seems to be winning, where it seems like the darkness has overcome all that is good, all that makes sense. So to hear about a light that pierces the darkness is the best news there is. That's all we have to do. The light switch is over there. And for us, pointing to Jesus isn't just about evangelism. That's part of it. Part of it is telling people about Jesus. But remember that we talked about how being a witness is a, a whole life kind of thing. So part of this is understanding that everything we do, all the ways that we spend our time, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's on vacation, whether it's here, in all of those times, we are representing God. We are, by the very nature of our life, pointing to Jesus. I love how Matthew shared earlier that he's realizing how in his workplace, he can be an agent of peace. He can bring peace wherever he goes, in whatever he does, and that's one way that he points to Jesus. I was running with a friend of mine yesterday who runs a company, and he was saying how his company hit a really hard time, and there wasn't sure whether they'd survive, and he realized that in that moment, he had to say, my people are more important than our profit. And he had to shift his mentality as a leader of this company to say, it's more important that I take care of these people and pour into them and protect them and build a community of people of respect and care than that we have profit. That's pointing to Jesus. He can only say that because he is loved by someone who loves him with a deep and perfect love. And so all of us have this opportunity in our here and our now to figure out what it looks like to become pointers to Jesus. We have the example of John the Baptist, how he's done it. We have the example of people around us, people in our lives who have pointed us to Jesus. And we are empowered by the Spirit. Jesus says that we will receive power from the Spirit to do this. This is how it works. And that last point is what's really critical. Because I suspect some of you might be thinking, that sounds really hard to do. <laughs> I'm barely able to make life work. I'm barely able to manage my job. And now you're telling me I have to do one more thing. Now I got to do all these things. And on top of it, I got a point. That's really tiring. Well, listen to this last verse. This has something to say that I think is helpful. It's actually a verse that's completely unnecessary. You can tell God I said that, that uh, we learn nothing new from this verse. But for some reason, it's here. John 1, verse 8 says this of John the Baptist. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, if you've been following along so far, we don't need this verse. No new information. We've already heard that John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light, our very sharp minds can realize that you can't both be the light and bear witness. So we know he's not the light. 
And then we're just repeated, told again, he came to bear witness about the light. So why do we need to know? Why do we need to be told explicitly that John the Baptist is not the light if we already know that? Except that when you walk into a dark room, you face a temptation to be the light. When you walk into a broken situation, you want to be the one to fix it. And John the Baptist, his very essence that he had to be reminded of over and over again and that we have to be reminded of about him is that he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. In fact, just a few verses later, we see um, three times where John denies who he was not. So if we're looking at this, we get to John 1, verse 20, where John says, I am not the Christ. The next verse, someone asks him, are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Again, he's asked, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Over and over again, John says more about who he is not than who he is, because he has to know He is not the light. Here's how one commentator says it. Essential to John's mission is a denial of his own significance. Essential to John's mission is a denial of his own significance. That's what it means to be an envelope. What do you do when you get a letter? What do you do with the envelope? You throw it away or you recycle it if you're in Palo Alto, but it it doesn't matter anymore. The envelope is discarded. We see John himself saying this about himself in John 3, verse 30. This is one of the most mind-blowing verses of the scriptures. John 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says this about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the kind of statement you will never find in the world that we live in. He must increase, but I must decrease. Essential to John's mission is a denial of his own significance. And so for us, if we realize that we are like John in that we are sent from God, that we are like John in the fact that we are sent to bear witness about the light, it is also true that we are like John in that we are not the light. And we need to know that. We need to be reminded of that. We need to sit in that day by day. So we're going to do a little exercise this morning. We're going to say together as a little time of group therapy, we are not the light. You ready? Let's say that together. We are not the light. Let's say it again. We are not the light. One more time for good measure. We are not the light. We need to know that because we are tempted to be the light. But let me tell you the good news, that this idea, what you just said three times, that is the best news, the second best news, I'm sorry, that you have heard all day. The second best news that you've heard this entire day is that you are not the light. The first best news is that the light has come, that the light has come that dispels the darkness 
And if you count yourself a follower of Jesus, then you have experienced that and you have the vision and warmth and clarity that the light of life brings. But the second best news is that you don't have to be that light. Because when you go into the world as someone who is sent by God, who carries the burden of God's purposes for the world, you, if you're like me at all, are tempted to want to be the light. And believe me, I think I want to be the light. I think I want to be the one to fix situations. I think that I want to be the one at the center of all. I think that I want to be the one to save the world. But I do not want that. And you don't either. You might think you do, like I sometimes think I do, but you do not want to be the light. It's really hard to be the light. And it is a gift to not be the light, to have to be the one that just says, the light switch is over there. That's the role that we've been given. He must increase, but we must decrease. There's a routine I have many mornings where I pray the Lord's Prayer slowly and contemplatively, kind of letting God speak to me through each phrase. And the Lord's Prayer, one of the early phrases is your kingdom come. And I pray, may your kingdom come, God. That's the request because my natural request is that my kingdom would come. So I have to pray that to reorient myself to God's kingdom, that that's actually my true desire. And at the end of the prayer, there's three words that always just challenge me because once again, you say, for yours is the kingdom. It's an acknowledgement that this is God's kingdom, not mine. Yours is the power that it is God's work that does his purposes, not my power. And when it's all done, yours is the glory. You must increase and I must decrease. And so praying that every morning is like a corrective to my natural way of thinking. Because I think it's my kingdom and I'm going to do it by my power and I'm going to get the glory when it's over. But by praying that, I reorient myself to God's work to say, this is your kingdom that I'm after. It is your power that will bring it in. And it is your glory that will result when all of it is done. And that life is a gift to live because we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. There's a story that's told by a man named Bruce Larson in a book he wrote a while ago where he was ministering to a, an executive in New York City and he was trying to help this man understand how to trust God. And so he walked this man to Rockefeller Center and in the middle of Rockefeller Center, if you've been there, is this big statue of Atlas. And you can see Atlas, the, the, this ancient Greek god, and Atlas is holding the world on his shoulders. And you can see his muscles bulging see he's doing everything he can do. And he, by the power of his own strength, is able to balance the world on his shoulders. And that statue is a image of the world that we live in. This is what we are told to do. This is if we work hard enough, if we're smart enough, if we, we can do this. And people can. Humanity is capable of incredible things. And that's the image that drives us forward. But then Larson takes this executive and he walks him across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral. Behind the altar, in a corner of the church, he shows him another statue of a young boy, Jesus, holding the world in the palm of his hand. There's no strain. He's not trying very hard. He's the young boy Messiah holding the entire planet that he made, by the way, 
in the palm of his hand. And Larson tells the executive, there are two ways to live in this world. You can struggle and strain and do your best to hold the weight of the world on your shoulders, or you can trust the one who holds the world in the palm of his hand. That's what it means to bear witness to the light, to trust that this is the work that God is doing, that he is the light, that he has come into the world. That's what we look forward to celebrating on Christmas and that he will return. And that our call is just to stand there and say, there's the light switch. Are you excited? It's time. All right? We're going to open this letter that was addressed to you, or actually this reasonable facsimile of a letter that is somewhere in the U.S. Postal Service that was addressed to you. And we're going to find out what someone had to say. It looks like it's a verse from John 8, 12. It says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the message that Jesus brings. This is the message that John the Baptist received for himself and the message that he was sent to deliver to others, to bear witness about the light. It's the message that many of us have received for ourselves so that we know the light of life within us. And it's the message that we have been given to send to the world as well. This is what it looks like to be sent from God. It's not a burden. It's not something else you have to add to your to-do list so that amidst responding to email and doing all the things, you also have to be a pointer to the light. It is all of who you are. And it is a way of living that is free and exciting and empowered by God in everything we do. This is a privilege to be sent from God to this world. And now, having spent all this time thinking about a man who was a pointer to the light, we get to celebrate a meal which is itself a pointer to the light. As one of his, as one of his last acts on earth, Jesus celebrated a meal and he told his disciples, I want you to keep doing what we're doing here now as a way of remembering me, as a way of pointing back to me so that this action can point to me. And in fact, it does so in a really powerful way because not only do we do something that reminds us of Jesus, but we actually taste something, we smell something, we experience something physically that in some way that none of us really understand is the body and blood of Jesus so that we receive him into us and we become pointers about him to the world. This is how Jesus introduced the meal. This is Luke 22. I'm going to read verses 19 through 20. We read, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me or in the language we've been using, allow this to point you to me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So we're going to celebrate this meal together. And as we do so, my invitation to you is to allow this bread and this cup to point you to Jesus, to the presence of the light 
in your dark places and allow it to become part of you so that Jesus becomes part of you and you yourself become a pointer to the light in the darkness. The way this will work is the ushers will come forward. They're going to distribute the bread first. Take your bread, um, which is gluten-free, by the way, and you can uh, take it and you can um, eat it on your own when you're ready. And then after that's done, they'll distribute the cup and you can hold on to your cup and the worship band will be playing some music and they'll stop at one point once we all have our cup and we'll drink that together. There's also little single service cups that'll come with the cups that have bread and uh, the juice together if you'd prefer that. So let me pray and invite God into this time. Father, uh, we are so grateful for sending the light of life into the world, the light that dispels the darkness. And we are grateful that you have given us this privilege of being your light, being the pointer to your light to the world. Thank you for entrusting us with that, for giving us the privilege of being pointers. And we pray that you would help us to live into that vocation, that you would help us to represent you in all that we do, so that people would see you through our actions, through our decisions, the way we work, through the way we live, and that ultimately that others would experience the light that the darkness cannot overcome. As we take this bread and take this cup, may it remind us of you and allow us to reflect you more effectively. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ and by your Holy Spirit. Amen.